0: So, on the outside, that picture looked amazing. We bought a big brand new house. We had some cars. We, you know, things look good on the outside. And behind that picture, man, I was using four or $500 worth of drugs a day. And the cards started to um, fall. And I ended up trying to take my life.
1: From Darkness to Life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey, and you or someone you know need help, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at (laughs) ourcollectivejourney.ca. Well, right.
0: (laughs) uh, Welcome
2: back to another season of From Darkness to Life.
0: I know, right? Season four
2: season four already. But That's wild.
0: Thought. I remember sitting in here the very first episode we did in season one thinking man is anybody ever gonna listen to this? That's Rather crazy. Than my mom maybe? Yeah
2: <laughs> and now you know more people do.
0: Turns out there's a couple tens of thousands of people hey Dave that listen to this it's wild. Anyway yeah welcome back season four kicking off with a season opener episode like we usually do. Uh, Ryan here and I have my cohort amber co-worker slash buddy
2: yeah here we best are Best friendship <laughs>
0: <laughs> here we are with season four and uh, a lot of things have changed a lot of things are the same but uh, it's been quite a quite a few months since we released something I think it was back in May of this year April when we put a pin in season three and yeah you know took the summer to regroup and we had a lot going on in the background a lot of uh ups and downs and a lot of program development and a lot of staff coming and going and whatnot. But uh, here we are. It's been great. It has been, hasn't it? Looking back, it was.
2: Yeah. I think always, you know, you're never going to face some adversity and some challenges without having a really good outcome. What do you think uh, has been like the most positive for you in the last little bit? For things that we've changed or some growth?
0: I think the last few months have really uh tilted the scale towards these positive outcomes that we're having and and that is, you know, the development of I mean the ongoing recovery coaching we're doing is paramount and that's number one of what OCJ does, right? Is the recovery coach service helping people get into recovery, whatever that looks like for them. We support them and walk alongside them. That's been our foundation since day, you know, day one. Um but I think the, the development of resilience coaching and working within the schools in a different capacity with uh, with that new perspective on uh-huh. not just recovery. We noticed, you know, over the last year that a lot of the individuals that our coaches connect with in the schools, they're not dealing with full-blown substance use disorder, right? So there was lots of conversations about what are we doing when this window of opportunity is open with youth to, you know, help them be, uh, build new tools, you know, gather some motivation and gather some new insight into their journeys so, so that they don't need a recovery coach in five or 10 years from now. Yeah. And from that, you know, the resilience, um, piece was kind of born, which turned into resilience coaching and some new curriculum. And yeah, it's been wild. I think that's been the highlight of the last few months for me is watching that kind of blossom into what it is today.
2: Yeah, it, it is really cool because when you think about it, like back in the day when we were young, I don't think I would have ever maybe acknowledged that I was an addict, even though back then I had a lot of addictive tendencies. Mm-hmm. But teaching me some resiliency around the stuff that was going on at home mm-hmm. probably would have made a huge impact. For sure. Like maybe I could have resonated that more than, you know, the understanding of addiction at such a young age.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because that, that, that just seemed ridiculous there was no talk of addiction no. at that age for me but if there would have been talk of like what we put into resiliency right and, and we can't take credit for the development of this it was all developed through you know the Alberta Family Wellness Initiative and and the brain story certification and all the science and the data and the doctors from Harvard and McGill and all over the place that went into developing that curriculum and or that that brain story uh-huh. and the, and the science behind it right so You know, we're just kind of standing on the shoulders of other people who have done the work and the data's there and the science is there that this is valuable. Yeah. But if somebody would have brought, you know, to the forefront when I was that age, you know, what toxic stress is and what these adverse childhood experiences are and the impact that it's going to have further in my life. You know, that's something I could have maybe understood. Yeah. Not you're going to suffer with addiction. I yeah. didn't have a clue what that was, right? And
2: yeah. And as we're teenagers, we just think we're smarter than yeah, everybody we're just, anyways. Totally.
0: We just like to party a little harder than most people. <laughs> yeah.
2: My best friend always used to say that I was always the more extreme one. Mm. Yeah.
0: You always pushed it, did you?
2: Always pushed it. Yeah. yeah. You were that one. I was that one.
0: <laughs> Here, hold my beer and watch this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh brings me to a question actually is like, you've done a lot of research around resiliency and you've done a lot of new framework and building out some programming what do you think resiliency has taught you? You've got a little young guy. Yeah. And like parenting today, even uh, though you're the old dad.
0: Well, I think, yeah, no shit. <laughs> but you right? can
2: teach an old dad new tricks. Oh my God. It's gosh. a thing. The, right? the running joke is when he gets into, <laughs> into
0: early grade school, it'll be, you know, the, the, staff oh it's so nice that your grandpa's bringing you to school today
2: <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> like, oh, that's my me of, dad <laughs> reminds me of the Theo Vaughn podcast because his dad was really
0: old and he that's used right. to
2: say like yeah people thought it was his grandpa <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm embracing that I'm waiting yeah. for the day right yeah um
2: you just have more wisdom
0: that's exactly right and some more gray hair
2: what do you think you've learned as a parent oh, yeah. now that you've educated yourself more on that resiliency piece and how do you think that Totally. That will shape your parenting in comparison to
0: well, I'm prior. Gonna, I'm going to take some terminolo- terminology right from the brain story and from the resilience scale masterclasses that I've taken and been a part of um, how resiliency, you're not born with it, right? You build it. And, mm-hmm. and that was something, you know, a lot of people in the public general public have a misconception of what resilience is, you know, it, it is the ability to get knocked down and bounce back up. Right. But it doesn't just happen and you're not born with it. You can, you can build these skills and it starts from a very young age. So like you said, I'm, I have a little two, two year old boy at home now and I know how important, um, the serve and return is with him, right. When he's sitting on the floor and playing with his toys and I can only understand half a dozen words in a sentence, <laughs> right. It, it's yeah. sitting there and he's serving the ball to me. It's like a tennis match and I got to return it to him. Right. And it's just that interaction and it's helping develop his brain in healthy, healthy patterns. Right. And, yeah. and that, uh, Uh, executive functioning. That's what's really developing in him. Whereas before, you know, and I've seen this lots in other parents, it's like, here's your, here's your screen time and go sit in the corner and just don't bug me. I'm busy. Yeah. Right. And I just know for me as a parent nowadays, it's how important that is to interact with him at every opportunity I have. And uh, how important that is in developing his, his little brain, right? It's, it's so like a sponge. And, and, you know, we know how kids pick up on everything, right? Well, they're, they're smart and they're always watching. And if we're modeling behaviors and we're modeling, you know, responses to them and we're having that real solid interaction with them. Like, I can't believe how informed this little guy is and how intuitive he is. And, and I firmly believe it's, you know, based on the parenting nowadays, whereas before it was nothing like that. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, right. And it's, it's, you know, a whole different way of parenting. And, and I see it as a gift in my life now, being able to have this little guy, but having the knowledge I have based around resilience and the impact of adverse childhood experiences and stuff. Right. And yeah. not trying to, to shield him from all this stuff because he needs to experience that positive stress in his life and figure out ways to manage and cope and figure out ways to navigate problems in his life, which you know are little problems at two years old, but they're huge for him and just yeah the positive reward system for him and just all these different aspects of of moving forward is and parenting it, it's yeah. just totally different today than it was before
2: yeah, yeah. i think like to if my kids were younger i think there's no wrong time to change the way you do things mm-hmm. but i think that it would have definitely helped me as a parent back in the day as well right because you do and we, we do what we know, right? You're like, okay, go play. But yeah, that serve and return is huge and making sure that you're engaging with your kids. Because like, for us, it was like, go out and play. We never talked about anything and you didn't really necessarily have that mm-hmm. interaction with your parents. I don't find back in the day, I know I didn't, it was go play or go yeah. play with your brothers and sisters, get for out sure. of my hair, get off of my feet. Right. And for sure. I think it's different now. Yeah. I find even for me too, as a, as a parent, I spend, I spend more time talking to my kids, even as teenagers. And I love my kids as teenagers. I think it's great. Um, just trying to get them to be more engaging and open and be willing to share and yeah. communicate differently. That's- Cause I don't know that I gave them all that in their younger. So you got to pull it out of them now. Yeah. So yeah, it's been cool. Uh, Very yeah. interesting.
0: It is interesting. Right. And I think yeah. you touched on a, a, a real valuable piece there is, you know, when, when, when my little guy is the age he is now. I have this opportunity to, to engage with him and work with him to help him develop his brain, right. And his skills and ability, which the more skills and ability he develops in a healthy coping, you know, a a healthy uh, pattern and that becomes routine for him. You know, that's going to tip a lot of his outcomes to a positive
2: outcome. Right.
0: Whereas before, you know, it was like, go play, go figure this out on your own. And who knows what the outcome's going to look like, right? And hopefully you learn from it. If you don't, well, you're going to repeat the same mistakes over and over. And, um, nowadays with him, It's just been, it's been a wild ride watching him navigate these little issues in his life. Right. And and figuring out with the help of myself, my wife, uh, grandma, grandpa, and all these people that are supportive in his life that, you know, he tips that scale towards these positive outcomes all the time. Right. Does he get it the first time? No, but that's that positive stress piece that he navigates and he figures that out and just developing his executive functioning. It's been wild just to watch him catch on and have these little light bulb moments, but Talking about, you know, your children at the age they're at now and my older boys, there's never, I don't think it's ever too late to work on this stuff, right? It's going to take longer. It's going it, to, maybe things aren't going to move as drastically or change as drastically, but that's the beauty of our brains is, yeah. you know, you use it or lose it. And if you use a new pattern and a new routine more and more and more, the old ones get pruned out and disappear, right?
2: And all the great new ones. Yeah. Blossom.
0: It's wild. Yeah. I, it's fascinating stuff. and. This kind of nerdy talk, I think, uh, just how fascinating the brain is and all these things. But if I would have known this 25, 35 years ago, yeah, and it wasn't that it wasn't, uh, developed or, you know, it was known about back then. It just wasn't, not to the extent it is today.
2: Yeah, no, it's such a big, and a big thing. And nobody talked about it. <laughs> no, why would we talk about mm. things back then? It's crazy. Gosh. I always say, like, we you know, our parents did the best they could. We did the best we could. Totally. And I think we always just get better and better yeah. the way we do things and more yeah. knowledge is out there and it's easily more easily accessible
0: Oh God, For, for, us, sure, for right? sure. Yeah. And I, you know, it's never these episodes that we do or, and we talk about our, our upbringings and whatnot, our personal lives. It's never a, a finger pointing, you know, putting blame on people. Like you said, everybody yeah. did the best they could with what they knew at the time. Right. And yeah. Looking back now, I know my parents did the best they could and their parents probably did the best they could. And it's just times are different. We know more. It's more acceptable to talk about these things. And, uh, that's the beauty of what we do here is we try to normalize all this stuff. So more people are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, off of resiliency, I think let's get into the pathway to recovery meeting.
0: Yeah. That's I another. love the
2: pathway to recovery meeting it's yeah. tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. I get to be there with Derek. Yeah, right. Looking forward to it.
0: It's pretty cool how that came to be, I think, just based on feedback from people that were reaching out to us, right? We had a lot of of people who were struggling with addiction, substance use disorder. A lot of people who were supporting somebody, um, whether it's a loved one, a child, a spouse, um, and then people early in recovery reaching out to us for recovery coaching, right? we took a lot of that feedback and we always wanted to have some sort of group or some sort of meeting, but we didn't want to just... Well, and you know this as well didn't as want to repeat
2: didn't. the wheel. Yeah, and
0: we didn't want to just do one to have a group if it's not beneficial and it doesn't have substance. What's the point of doing it? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we started the Pathways to Recovery meeting at the Medicine Hat Public Library every second Thursday night. And, uh, yeah, it's not really a facilitated group. It's more of a build a support network for what you're dealing with, right? And people from the community show up, and it's been a wild uh exist since its existence it's I think we started off with 50 55 people showed up and you know yeah. the numbers kind of dwindle and they go up and down but it's
2: a lot of constant people that come back
0: yeah what's your favorite part about that meeting?
2: that it's an open open discussion
0: mm-hmm.
2: like you just leave the door open to what someone is feeling or wanting to talk about and someone is always brave enough to kind of share and start the conversation and I feel like we've always said we're going to come up with these topics and bring a topic but if we yet to seem to have to bring one because a lot of the times it it already comes to surface and then you get to hear both sides of the perspective you've got like the family supporting someone in addiction and then the perspective from the person who's suffering from addiction or has come out of addiction and Mm. where they were at. And I just love that. Like, yeah, yeah, the vulnerability in the room. And I find once you get, once the, the floodgates open of a topic that comes up, it just, you can't stop the room. Yeah. Like, and you just let it go. It's solution focused. And yeah, I've really just enjoyed that. And I love the feedback of how people, can like ask somebody suffering an addiction, like, you know, this is where I'm at with my kid or vice versa. Like, yeah. how would you handle that? Sure. I think it's been so cool. So cool.
0: Yeah. I think that's been one of the coolest pieces for me too, is just seeing, you know, the individuals, like you said, the individuals who are supporting someone and are kind of oblivious to what that individual might be going through on a day-to-day basis. You know, they see the addiction from the outside But to have somebody who's gone through it or is going through it or, you know, early in their recovery, share, you know, when I was in that situation, your son or daughter is in, this is my experience. And this is, you know, the shame I felt or the guilt or Uh what drove me to do this and how powerful the compulsion and the obsession to use drugs and alcohol are. And just kind of have those light bulbs turn on for the families. Yeah. Oh, this is a new perspective that I didn't understand. And it's been fascinating to have those different dynamics in the same room I agree
2: yeah like I remember we had the one gentleman there and his dad was suffering and he was like just kind of was finding out about what was going on and he's like I learned more in this meeting than I've ever known and like it makes sense to what's been going on in my house like he was like yeah he was just mind blown comes back all the time yeah so he just wants to know more and understand and and I like that because I think people are there to seek to understand mm-hmm. and get a better perspective and an understanding of where their loved ones are at or themselves, and it just means people are open for growth and change. And I think that's pretty dang cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating, right? And like you said early on, when we re- started discussing this, it's solution focused, and you know we're not going to provide solutions, but it's no. all discussion around bettering somebody's understanding, better, bettering somebody's perspective, bettering whatever that might look like in their life, you know, it's about moving forward, not about dwelling in the problem. It's about, you know, there's a lot of people struggling with this yeah. and let's normalize it and let's talk about it as a group and let's, let's figure this out together. And it's going to be different for every person, but that's what I love about bringing all these different people from the community together who are, you know, might be strangers to each other in everyday life, but now they can see that, you know, I'm not the only family going through this. Yeah, I don't have the only husband going through this or wife, right? There's a lot of people in this room we're struggling with the same thing. So it's about building, you know, A, normalizing this, showing people that, you know, you're not the only one, B, it's okay to get support and C, the other really cool pieces. Now they have a, a means to connect to each other outside of that room if they so choose to. Yeah. So it's not one hour every two weeks in a room and then you go white knuckle it for the next two weeks. It's like, here's some individuals that you can, you know, meet for coffee and, and start to work through some of these issues.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing else I found, too, is that um, we try to have some resources in the room. Mm. um, And then people also share different resources, whether they were in our community, outside of our community, that were helpful to either themselves or their family. Yeah. And so sharing that, and we know that's a big piece of, like, people sometimes don't know where to go. For call. So having that, like, shared experience of what helped their families or themselves in a room makes people more open to try different things. Yeah. I think that's been a really cool piece as well.
0: For sure. Yeah. I know a lot of the individuals that reach out to us, that's that's the big, a really big piece to that meeting as well. You're right, is exposing them to all the different resources. Because when you're first into this situation of supporting or in addiction, it's really hard to navigate because yeah. there are so many resources, right? And where do you start?
2: Where do you start?
0: And uh, I remember the first couple of meetings we had, you know, our small little folder with some resources printed off. Here you go. And now it's turned and into yeah. two tables of resources from... All over the place, right? Virtual yeah. resources, in-community resources, um, therapy, you name it. Is A lot of individuals have sent us from their agencies, sent us their promotional material. And it's been super helpful to be able yeah. to guide somebody to check this out, right? Is it going to work for everybody? I don't know. But yeah. at least the options are there and they don't have to go home and Google 10,000 yeah. treatment centers and therapists and read reviews. and
2: Simplify it for yeah. them. Yeah.
0: It's like that system navigator piece. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. I love it.
2: Me too. Recovery coaching is still going well. Mm -hmm. We're still getting tons of, tons of calls there.
0: Yeah. And like I was saying earlier that I don't think that's ever going to go anywhere. We're always going to, that's like the backbone of OCJ is because we're all in recovery Mm -hmm. is is helping people get out of that dark spot they're in. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I really don't see, unfortunately an end to the need for it. No. So I think it's always going to be there. Um, we're just going to branch out and do a few other things on the side as well, right?
2: Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, I like re- where we're going.
0: Oh, me too. The direction is is pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, I would say so yeah. myself. What, what, else? Uh, what else is going on this year for you?
0: Well, we started our Rise Up. If anybody who has been following OCJ or local to Southern Alberta um, knows, I'm sure, about the Rise Up Hot Air Balloon Festival. So whew, if you don't know about it, I don't know check it out it's on the internet it's pictures are everywhere uh on our website on riseupmh.ca our hot air balloon festival that's tied to ocj and rising up out of uh you know all the the mental health issues and addiction issues that go on in the communities and stuff it's just this hope-filled four-day event where family community get together it's free to the public it's it's full of hot air balloons i think we had i don't even know 25 last year
2: There was, I think there was quite a bit more than there was the year before. It was awesome. Yeah. It was really awesome.
0: So we're planning that for the last weekend of May again in 2024 will be the third annual hoping to have the same number of balloons, if not more. And uh, we got a few new ideas in the mix and just stay tuned for those. But yeah, Rise Up is on the horizon and it's pretty amazing.
2: I look forward to it. You know, the favorite part about last year is I was coaching at the gym in the morning and uh, the day after when we they did the flight there um, mm-hmm. that nobody knew about. <clears throat> yeah. And all the balloons went over Roy Wilson's school. And one of the teachers that was in the class, she <clears throat> said, those kids dropped their bags, like <laughs> dropped their stuff. All the before kids, she said, they were cheering with their arms like up in the air. She said, the light on all of their faces was just like... Oh my the goodness. best thing ever. She's like, it made my day. It made their whole day. She said, just like, so thankful that it happened. Yeah. And she was so pumped.
0: That's the coolest story. There's so many stories in community that, you know, people send us feedback. We talk to people during the weekend. We talk to people following the events and just multiple stories you know, about their experience seeing the balloons or their children or the groups of kids. Or Yeah. It's so fascinating. And then the social media pictures that come online. It's wild. The event, it's like smiles. just lit oh. up.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I can't say enough about, uh, you know, Willie and Cindy Tyon who started the event, came to us to partner with us. <clears throat> yeah. The vision they had for this event was, it's it's amazing. It's probably one of the coolest events Excuse me. I've ever been a part of, so I'm so glad that uh, the community, the the corporate sponsors, everybody's kind of bought into it. And you know, without the the sponsorship, it doesn't happen, right? Because yeah, it costs money to put
2: put all the thirty stuff hot air on.
0: balloons in the air. Propane is astronomical the price of that. But anyway,
2: yeah, and it gets bigger and better yeah. every year, and it's family orientated. And yeah, I love the whole weekend. It's pretty cool.
0: It's amazing, and I know as this season progresses, we're going to have Willie and Cindy come on the show, and uh, we'll we'll have a whole episode talking about rise up, the birth of rise up, what it's meant to the community and, uh, you know, the reasons behind it and, and what it means to the community. So yeah, stay tuned for that one. I'm not sure when it will happen, but it'll be later this season. So.
2: Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, wow. it's
0: pretty cool. And I had the experience, I got to go down to Billings. My wife and I went down to Billings, Montana with Willie this summer and, and Cindy and, uh, did some crewing for him and his balloon at a balloon festival outside of our own. And what a cool experience that was to see, you know, just the same type of excitement, just yeah. in a whole different, well, different country, different state, different community, right? But the yeah. same type of excitement when That's the balloons cool. hit the sky.
2: It's wild.
0: Oh, it's fascinating. If you've never seen hot air balloons in the sky or been really, you know, within feet of them, I highly recommend to check this out because... uh there's something serene about it. It's such a big vessel and it's so quiet.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. wild. It's, and it's if cool. you can be on the volunteer committee yeah. of some, if there's ever one in your <laughs> community, wherever you might be, like jump on the volunteer. Cause even setting those things up is a very cool experience, right? And just understanding mm-hmm. what all goes into it. Why didn't they fly when they don't fly? Like the education piece I found was really cool. And then I got to also chase my buddy Ryan's <laughs> balloon, which I was like, I don't think I stopped talking about that for a week straight. It was just, it was so cool. And like, yeah, you just chase around the balloon in your car and find you in a field somewhere. It was just awesome. The whole thing is a really, really wild experience. So I like what it brings to our community. I think we're pretty fortunate to have Willie and Cindy and Mm -hmm. and they bring this to our community and provide a lot of awareness around mental health.
0: Yeah. And, And, you know, not to dig too much into Rise Up, but just to see the community of pilots that are flying hot air balloons, right? There's pilots that are coming from the States to find this. There's pilots that come from Quebec. There's, yeah, it's cool. It's wild. They come from everywhere and, and yeah. they're not getting paid, right? No. They, they get some hotel room, they get some food. They just love to fly. Yeah. And they're driving two, 3000 miles hauling their stuff with them Yeah, in a trailer to put their balloon in the sky over our community for four days and then go home.
2: It's really awesome. Or go to the
0: next one and the next one. It's wild to see. And let's talk to these pilots that are, some of them are retired and this is what they do. They travel all over North America and do this. Yeah.
2: We need to do this. It's
0: amazing, right? <laughs> a sense of retirement time coming up. Well, yeah. Podcast from the sky, maybe.
2: You and Alyssa can fly the balloon. and Yeah, yeah. podcast from the sky, and I'll just be your chase team for <laughs> forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty uh, awesome.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think we've got a lot of really cool positivity at our collective journey. You know, I love everything we're doing. I love our team.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I love the people who are still reaching out. And all of our supporters and sponsors, it's been really awesome.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a good year. When you when you share that right now, it reminds me of, you know, working with individuals one-on-one and, you know, they can't foresee life without drugs and alcohol or their life getting better or, you know, not just substance use, but whatever darkness you're in, right? They can't foresee what's life going to look like. And it's, it looks like this, right? We're in recovery yeah. and there's just some really cool, wild stuff happening lately for us at OCJ. And that's yeah. all contingent and, and courtesy of our recoveries right we, yeah. we're living a different quality of life and things get better
2: yeah it's funny my therapist said to me this year he said did you ever think that your past would get you a job <laughs> <laughs> and I was like no <laughs> right? he said who would have thought being a recovered addict is it a resume
0: <laughs> right
2: like a good resume check, check. yeah <laughs> like
0: huh, it very is cool it's pretty cool That's an example that you know when you start taking some accountability, start making the the choices to change your life because nobody does it for us. You had to do it all yourself. I had to do it myself, right? There's yeah. support around. Yeah. We have to make those choices yourself. And when you start doing, we say this all the time, the next right thing for the right reasons and you start, you start doing the work, life gets better yeah. and who knows what doors it opens, but it starts opening doors and they're usually the boogeyman isn't behind them anymore, right? Selling yeah. a bag of cocaine. It's, yeah. it, it's good doors you're opening. And, yeah. And, uh, oh my gosh, life has got, we have a good friend, Stacy, who always says, you know, if I would have got, you know, what I wanted at the start of recovery, and that was the obsession, the compulsion to be removed from me, I would have sold myself so short because the gifts that have come since then,
2: yeah,
0: based on um, the work that we do, personal work to, to stay in recovery and, and to better our recovery and our quality of life, the gifts just continuously keep coming. Yeah. We don't expect them. No, nope. I'm not shocked by them anymore, right? I just know that if I keep doing the, the right thing, thing, something cool will happen eventually, right? I don't yeah. know when.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's not like seeking that instant gratification anymore,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Because like yeah. in addiction, we need that instant coping yeah. mechanism, right? And I think even in recovery, everybody's always living in a Not in recovery, just in general. I think we always just want things to come for sure quick and fast. And and I think that recovery process helps you not necessarily always just need the so fast solution. Yeah. Good things come in time.
0: Oh my gosh. It's so true, right?
2: Yeah. Cool. Oh man. Yeah.
0: So I look back, you know, in my journey. Um, and it's easy to piece together those pieces now, right? Looking backwards, but in the moments, oh my gosh. There was some hard times, right? And hard days. And, but I look back now and, and I see that I needed to go through those, those lows mm-hmm. in order to get to the other side of them. Yeah. Learn some new skills. Yeah. Learn some hard lessons. Yeah. Um, inadvertently now I'm aware of how it helped me build resilience. Yeah. Yeah. And move on to the next challenge, right? And and yeah. continuously doing that has got me to where I am today. And in the moment, you know, I always hear people say, well, what was the moment you realized that you were doing better? Or what was the moment where this occurred for you? Or mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't really know. Yeah. There, there isn't a, like a red flag on my timeline that this yeah. is when this happened. But I look yeah. back and I'm like, holy shit, it happened. Sometime back there, yeah, yeah.
2: in the slew of the chaos, right. it all came to fruition. Thinking about you, you mentioned that you were talking about going back in time. Yeah, Ryan, we've never talked about your story. Are you willing to go back in time and tell us your recovery I feel story? Like, uh,
0: um, <laughs> Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. Yeah, let's yeah. take you back. Are you going to be uh, Doc? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the DeLorean. Dave, yeah. Dave would make a better doc than you, I think.
2: I think so yeah. as well. Dave, Dave, wind up the door. Yeah.
0: We're going to go back in time a little bit here.
2: Yeah. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more. You know, you share parts of uh, of yourself and things that went on back in the day. And it's I always find it mind-boggling because you are just like, for me, the most genuine, sincere, honest person. And I just can't picture you back, <laughs> back in the day. Oof. It's, yeah. I I think we all grow so much that you're like, wow, I would never picture you there. Yeah. But we all get there, man. Everybody gets there, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I'll definitely share some, but.
2: I'd love to know a little bit about, you know.
0: You know, the depths of the places and the, the behaviors and the actions that my addiction brought out in me, you know, make it very believable, instantly believable when I'm sitting with somebody now and they start sharing a little bit about what what's going on in their lives and nothing is um, unbelievable for me because I know where it took me and I'm like, where it took me never in a million years did I ever think I'd be doing that stuff or behaving that way.
2: Yeah.
0: And suddenly I'm in the middle of it and I'm holy shit, how'd I get here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been wild. So yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's wind the clock back, I guess. Uh,
2: How do you think you got, well, you know, there, Into I, the start of the,
0: I've had enough time now coming up on nine years of uh, recovery and
2: it's amazing by the way.
0: Thank you. I think everybody's recovery is amazing. If you, if you do the work and you, you're better in your quality of life, I don't know what your recovery looks like, but I, I think it's amazing that you're doing the work.
2: Yeah. One um, day, nine years. It's <laughs> that's all awesome.
0: Right. And you, we all get there one day at a time, which sounds cliche, but it's true, right? That's all we have. It's true. Finish today on a positive note and yeah. we start again tomorrow. Um, I look back now and, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of childhood stuff. And like I said earlier, right, I'm not pointing fingers. My mom will be listening to this at some point. It has nothing to do with them personally. And, you know, everybody was doing the best they could at at the time. Um, I look back now and I see a lot of red flags. And in the time, everything was normalized as a youth. I didn't know any different, right? And and I know there's lots of parents and a lot of listeners out there that, you know, hopefully this resonates with some of them or, or they can have some light bulb moments because now that I'm an middle-aged man and I look back at my childhood, there's red flags all over the place, but I didn't know any different. And the way I parented growing up was the way I was parented. And uh, yeah, I look back now and not real cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I played a lot of hockey as a youth. Um, most people in this part of the world do, and or most young men do, and a lot of young women now. But um, my dad had played hockey too and, and was fortunate enough to to get a scholarship. He played some hockey in the States, some Division I stuff, right? And then uh, I started playing hockey and it was a passion of my dad's and it was something I really enjoyed as a, as a young fellow, but the bar was sure set high for me. I look back now and, and uh yeah, that unattainable perfection all the time. Right. I could score mm-hmm. four goals in a game and, and all I'd get yelled at was the offside or the shitty pass I made. Right. Not congratulations. You played awesome. Yeah. Um, lots of these negative, um, things in my life around that situation. And, um, I excelled at hockey as a, as a youth, um, so I ended up moving up uh, a division and played with the older kids. And I know lots of kids who do that. And I just always didn't feel like I fit in. Um, and it wasn't until I found a group of kids that, you know, they were two years older than me or whatever it was. And, but they were drinking in the car in the parking lot after games or after practice. And, and I started drinking with them because drinking was normalized in my home. There, there was alcohol all the time and, you know, the parties on weekends and babysitters every night all these types of things. Right. I shouldn't say every night, but lots. And this was just normalized lifestyle in my house. And, and, uh, yeah, so I started drinking with these guys and, and for once I felt accepted. I felt that they accepted me in their little circle of, of friends and, and it felt good to be accepted. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that negative perspective continued on throughout, you know, my early teens, mid teens, twenties, thirties, forties. Um, I found that same group of people. I ended up moving, playing hockey in the States. I I played some junior, I played some university and and I just found that same group of dudes on everywhere I went that drank like I did. Yeah. And they were, they were always there.
2: Yeah. You
0: didn't have to look hard. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, they were the ones bringing the, the two, four pack to a few beers after the game type thing. Right. So I drank with those guys and I never once stood out because we were all drinking the same way. It was normalized behavior. And uh, that really escalated into my university days and uh, that cut my hockey career short because I, man, I I was drinking so much, but I had three, four guys that were drinking just like me and didn't know any different.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, once that stage of my life was over, I moved back to Canada, moved back to Saskatchewan, got into the oil and gas industry because that's what my dad did. It was just easy. Yeah. Um, found the same group of dudes that drank like me out there, which that was even easier to find out. Anybody listening who's an oil worker or has a spouse that's an oil worker. It's not real hard to find that group of people.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And yeah, you know, looking back now, I I look at all the, the lost opportunities to develop healthy coping mechanisms. Um, Conversations weren't really had in my house around hardship or navigating hard times. Right. It was like suck it up and do your, you do what you got to do to get through this. Right. We don't, we don't share our problems. All those things that we hear about now, you know, being a man's man type thing, right? We don't talk about our issues. We fix our own problems. All these things were ingrained in me from a very young age. And and I say this lots that it was it was uh, more offensive to say the four-letter word help than it was to say fuck in my house, right? Yeah. Yeah. Help was a, such a foreign word to me. And uh, so, yeah, I never asked for help with anything, right? And, and the older I got and the more I drank— um, That became, I look back now, that became my coping mechanism. Like if things were hard, I just drank
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: it numbed things out and I didn't have to deal with my problems, right? Inadvertently creating tons more problems, which I didn't realize (laughs) at the time, but oh my gosh, what a train wreck I was turning into.
2: Unravels (laughs) without you being aware.
0: Yeah, it, it was wild, right? And like I said, it was so normalized in the circles I traveled in and the industry I was in after hockey was over was... You know, lunch meetings revolved around alcohol. Let's go for drinks after work, and you're you're closing deals over drinks, and all these things. You're going uh-huh. golf tournaments. You're going to corporate retreats, and everything revolved around booze.
2: Yeah,
0: um, it was like a staple, right? Uh, yeah. There's a few pieces that <clears throat> were great in my life. Um, I look back now. You know, I I I got married at 24, I believe. Um, had two boys, um, did not know how to parent properly. Uh, I was doing the best I could with what I knew based on my experience growing up. Um, my, my career in my eyes was so valuable that that came first over everything. So I was, you know, this absent dad, right? Even if I was home, I was never there mentally because I was so pre, oh man.
2: Is that like the ego part of addiction?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I was so consumed with the party. Like yeah. if I had worked for 21 days or something, I came home for a weekend or a four day stretch. I was drinking on the way home. I was drinking when we got home. I was yeah. drinking all weekend or hung over one of the two. I was never really present. Right. And that yeah. was just kind of a normal situation. A lot of people were doing it. I was doing it. My wife was with me at times doing it. Um, So yeah, I, I look back now and that's where a lot of my guilt and shame came from was, you know, my parenting techniques and, and the impact it had on my two older boys. And, <clears throat> but I've, thanks to therapy, I've managed to work through a lot of that. Nice. <clears throat> um, I'd say, you know, things really started to escalate for me in the early two thousands. Um, I started to move up the ladder in the oil and gas industry cause I was, had half a brain and <laughs> I could run a computer and <laughs> I had some logic behind me. Um, so yeah, I started to move up into different seats, management supervisor roles um, and ended up working with my dad <clears throat> on a crew where he was the the superintendent. I was his number two guy and and we fought lots. We had lots of arguments um we drank lots together on the road we we argued all the time there was there were some good times in there, right, but a lot of it was based around being told what to do. I had from a young age, this you know authoritarian father who was. Doing things my way all the time, right? And I'm going to tell you how to do things. Yeah. And there was no talking back. And that carried into my young adulthood with my dad. And uh, I remember the day, it was 2006, when we were at a job site working, and him and I got in this big argument in the afternoon. And He wanted me to do something his way. I said, no, I'm going to do it this way. And we're going to end up at the same point, right? It's going Mm -hmm. to all look the same when we're done and we're going to put dirt on it. Nobody's ever going to see it again. (laughs) Yeah. And he told me a few things and I told him a few things and he parted ways with me. And uh, on our way into town, it was right around this time of the year, right? Mid-October, early October. And I got a phone call from our manager that there'd been a vehicle accident on the highway and uh, racing through my mind, right? It's dark out. It's. It's uh, five, six o'clock at night and the sun's down <clears throat> and I'm drinking a few beers, just like every other person on the road that night who worked on our crew. And uh, yeah, our manager says there's a vehicle accident up ahead and going through my mind, I'm picking out all the guys that I think probably gotten in a wreck because there's a lot of them that yeah. couldn't drive a sharp stick up. A- anyway, <laughs> a- anyway. manager says, uh, yeah, you're done. He He rolled his truck up ahead and. It's not good. They, he's passed away at the scene and I was about five minutes behind him. So I get there finally and I'm not going to go into too, too many details. Right. But there's my dad. Yeah. Rolled his truck through a farmer's fence, hit some black ice, lost control and, um, passed away in his truck on the road side ditch. And, you know, there was no EMTs there yet. There was no, there was some traffic backed up. So down you go into the ditch and you, you know, panic and, and shock sets in and yeah, trying to, do something based on our first aid training and, but you know, way beyond that stage. So anyway.
2: That must've been tough.
0: Oh, it was brutal. Right. But in the moment I didn't think it was, you know, I'm this man's man. Right. And I'm in shock and, but I'm going to go tell my mom, I'm, I got to do all these things now. Right. This is what my dad would do. And I, I got to be the man and all yeah. these things. Right. And instantly that night I started drinking. When I got to town, we, we kept drinking as this unfolded and, the funeral was a blur. We just drank. Um, everybody who came over to the houses brought booze. Everybody drank, right? That's just exactly. how we coped with everything. And I know that's not foreign to a lot of people listening. That's how you cope with a lot of grief and loss. That's still
2: and, a lot of common practice. <clears throat> totally. That you see. Right. Yeah.
0: And it really doesn't deal with the root causes, right? It numbs it up.
2: It doesn't. And <clears throat> it, you know, alcohol is a natural depressant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... In the moment, it feels like it's the solution, but it never does ever make you feel better. That's for sure. And it doesn't take away the loss or the problem. For sure. Or the feeling that you have.
0: Yeah. And Just it sure it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> in the moment, it did. Yeah. but
2: In the moment. Oh, my Looking gosh. back in hindsight. Yeah. It we know now it doesn't. Long
0: term, it really didn't do anything. Yeah. But yeah and I'll get to that piece. on oh my I'm gosh. sorry
2: that you had to go through that because yeah. that is not cool.
0: It was rough. Yeah. But you know what? I had a lot of people tell me, you know, Ryan, you should go take some time off work, go see some counsel, counselors, get some trauma therapy, all these things, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, nope, that's what somebody else would do. But that's yeah. not what my dad would do. And that's not what I'm going to do. And that's not what a man would do. And
2: yeah,
0: therapy's for other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm not going to talk to anyone about this, right? And the way I coped with it for a number of years after that was just drinking more. I got promoted into, well, it was about a week later. I went back to work after his funeral and got promoted eventually into his role And uh, took over the crew and just drank more. Every night after work, I drank on the way into town. Yeah. Lots of behaviors I'm not proud of, right? But it was just such common practice.
2: Just because of the territory. Yeah. Right in that time.
0: And, you know, drink when you get home, all these things. And I was really turning into this deep, dark, I don't know. It was just a real dark time in my life. and and, But when I was in it, I didn't really think much of it.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: But I was never present after that. Um, I
2: could check mentally. We check out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if there's right. any
2: way you can explain <clears throat> that? Like I know for me, when my mom died, too, it's just like you're there, but you're not really there. For sure, it's like you're surviving.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. And I look back now, and and life never was really the same after that point. Yeah, for me, right? And I wasn't doing anything about it. Healthy coping mechanisms, seeking outside supports, anything. Yeah. I wasn't doing any of that. Yeah. I was just working more dug right into work which a lot of people do mm-hmm. to deal with with grief, keeping busy, right? Mind off task and and all these things and mixing the booze and and it wasn't till uh it was about 5 6 years after that, so fast forward to like 2012, 2011 somewhere in there is when I found hard drugs mm-hmm. and just happened to stumble across them with a group of guys that I was playing honky with and tried a few bumps in the bathroom one night and didn't think much of it. Yeah. And it was probably, this is the progression of addiction for me, right? It was probably about three months before I saw it again. Yeah. Did a few more with the same guys, never thought much of it. And it really started to pick up speed after that. Then it was normalized. That was normalized in the circles I hung out with because they didn't have to hide it anymore. I was in this trusted group. So it was just always out on the table when I went over to watch football or whatever that looked like. Yeah. And I started using more frequently. And then that progressed to, you know, I used to throw money in so that they would share some with me or buy it. I would throw it into the pile so that they could get whatever they were getting and I would use some. And that turned into me finding my own dealer and buying my own, but not telling them. So I'd use theirs and then use mine. Mine. And this, you know, all within the matter of 12 months, it progressed into, you know, a, a dependency on, on cocaine in my life and, Did I ever think I would end up as a cocaine addict? Absolutely not. This, you know, I'm 30, I don't even know at that time, 35, 36 years old before I even saw cocaine. Mm -hmm. And within a year, I'm a full blown cocaine addict.
2: Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, that 2013, I went to treatment the first time. Um, I'm going to leave out some of the gory details of my behavior and my, (laughs) anybody who's been through it knows the debauchery that you get into, right? The sex, the gambling, the, you name it. it. was all part of addiction.
2: It just comes with the territory.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was such a piece of work.
2: <laughs> Man, we all got our, our shameful moments in, <laughs>
0: Brutal, in living right? in
2: addiction, for oh sure. We God. You do things that you never think you would ever get to. No. That's the crazy part.
0: It's so wild. It, it, it seems like such a foreign life to me. Like, it wasn't yeah. my life when I look back now.
2: Yeah. And yeah. it is foreign. Like, yeah. for me, too. And I remember, too, back thinking... Like I never really talked about it. And I think I probably didn't talk about it because there's a lot of shame and stuff. And I just thought, but it's also just not me Yeah, back in the day. Like, yeah, it's wild. And you think about it and you talk about it. I know when me and Trevor were gone on the weekend and we were talking about like, even where I lived in Edmonton or like how I managed to stay warm or stay in places. And I was like, yeah, I haven't talked about this in a long time.
0: It's wild to go back down that and I was path, like, right?
2: I never even thought of this stuff for yeah. so long, right? And you're like, man, that was wild. <laughs> totally. Wild times.
0: When I know early in recovery, you know, where it's kind of suggested not to talk about the, the glory days and to glorify. A lot of people do glorify, you know, their stories and their behavior. And oh, I used to use this much and all this stuff. Yeah. Cause they don't know any different. Right. No. They don't know what recovery looks like. That's all they have is that piece. Yeah. But as we get farther and farther removed from the days that <clears throat> we used to do that stuff. So now we're years away from it. You know, we sit and we talk about those stories, but it's not to glorify them. It's it's to shine light on the insanity of it and it's how we insanity. thought it was normal. <laughs> yeah. Right. And this is the common practice today.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> and I think when you come out, you're still running on a bit of a high ego to you, right? And to you, that's normal. Oh my or God. Now we're like, I wouldn't want to tell people that. You're totally. like, I don't really want them to think of me like that. But you're like, it was there one time.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely it was.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Uh, so you go to treatment. Yeah. Where'd so you go to treatment?
0: I went to treatment at a, a facility, a private facility in Saskatchewan called, uh, it's Prairie Sky Recovery now. Yeah. Um, West of Saskatoon, kind of by Wilkie, Saskatchewan. Beautiful place, beautiful staff. Yeah. You know, I look back and I went there to take the heat off. I see that now. (laughs) Excuse me. My employers kind of swept it under the rug, paid me my salary. You pay for treatment. Yeah. We're not going to let this out. Yeah. You go get yourself fixed up. I left treatment. Um, Really didn't. I did the best I could with at the time, I guess, but I really still didn't think I had a problem. I could control this. Um, once right back to work, everything was the same, except now the drugs and the booze are supposed to be gone. So you took, you know, the only coping mechanism I knew was now removed and I still hadn't dealt with any of the underlying causes.
2: Yeah.
0: And we, anybody who's been through it kind of knows the outcome of that eventually. Yeah. So I lasted, uh, about five, six months going to meetings, doing the things I was supposed to be doing, but not really buying into it all, just wiping, Checking the pretty much white-knuckling it. <clears throat> and I had a relapse <clears throat> on alcohol. And I never thought I had a problem with alcohol. Like I said, it was normalized, right? I just drank a little yeah. more than other people. But So, yeah, I got back mm-hmm. into the booze one night, and uh, within a couple hours, I had an eight ball in my pocket, and, and it was a runaway. Um, the next day, I got in so much heat. From my from my wife and and anybody who knew, but it was all based around drinking. Right, nobody knew at that time, to my knowledge, that I got back into the drug scene. So, yeah, my creative thinking in my brain told me, "Well, just stay off the booze, then."
2: Yeah,
0: and you can continue to use drugs. You can control it this time, though, right? Yeah, it'll be different. You'll only use on weekends. I made so many bargains with myself, and that's that's part of addiction, right? Is making these bargains that make me believe that I still have this piece of control over the substance. And, and, uh, it wasn't long before I was using during the week at nights while I'm not using it at work. So it's not that bad. Yeah. And suddenly work started ending earlier and suddenly it started ending at two and then it would end at one. And I'd just go drive around and get high every day. Yeah. And, uh, but still doing my job. Right. So on the outside, that picture, I talk about this a lot. So the picture looked amazing. We bought a big brand new house. We had some cars. We, you know, things look good on the outside and, behind that picture, man, I was crumbling. I I was using four or $500 worth of drugs a day Wild in the last year and a half of my, my life. And, um, things really escalated and and the cards started to, um, fall just after Christmas of 2015. And I ended up trying to take my life. I, uh, went on, I I went on a run one weekend, didn't tell anybody where I was going, cleaned out as much money as I could and bought enough drugs and booze and whatnot and held up in a hotel room for a while. And, and that didn't do it. So I made the decision that I was going to take my life that day. I think it was a Monday and, uh, sorry if anybody, um, is, is triggered by this Here's your chance to turn it off for now. I'm not going to get into too many details, but you know what? I it was the middle of February, early February, blizzard, minus forty, Saskatchewan. People, anybody who lives in Saskatchewan, Alberta, knows the temperature and the and the the scenario. But anyway, I pulled my truck off the road down this farmer's trail and into the bottom of this coulee, a couple of miles off the road, and everything is white. Driving a white truck, and it's like 10, 30, 11 in the morning, and had a ton of booze and enough cocaine and prescription drugs that I thought this is where it's going to end. And, and I had, I had come to the belief that, you know, I was fully on board with this. This was the best decision I could make for everybody.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm going to remove the problem from everybody's life and they'll carry on. Like the insanity of it. I look back now and I think my kids, Oh, thank God they can go to my funeral and, and do, you know, this brief morning. Cause at that time I didn't know that was my problem with my dad's death. <clears throat> they yeah. can move on and have a positive life, right? The problem is gone. Their, their piece of shit dad is gone. And, uh, I sat there for 14 hours drinking and drugging and, and popping pills and is middle of the night. And I remember, you know, one of the last cognitive memories I have was how dark it was out. You know, I'm pretty much out of gas and, and I got my truck shut off. It's 40 below. And, but just remembering how dark it was out there. There's no streetlights. There's no stars. It was just pitch black. And I thought finally, you know, the outside matches the inside. That's the mm-hmm. feeling I had in my in my last few days was just so dark. How gross and dark my life had gotten. And I remember going to sleep thinking that was the last time I was going to wake up. And I was content with that. And, uh, you know, through an act of God and, and some supports that I have. Um, I was found and, uh, I won't get into too many details around that, but my big uncle managed to find me and this was two and a half hours away from home in the middle of a farmer's field. So there's some, some divine intervention that came around for him to be able to find me, but wild, yeah. Anyway, off to the hospital, psych ward, ER, you name it back through the whole system and, uh, still thinking I'm going to take my life because I do not want to face the consequences of my behavior and um, everything's gone at this time. Right. And this is where I firmly believe I needed this to happen in order for me to, you know, make the change, make the decisions. You know, I was separated, going to get divorced. The house was for sale. Career was gone. I'd spent all my money and everything on my addiction. And uh, I ended up back at treatment. I made a decision to go back to treatment with um, some help from some other people and, Anyway, fast forward. Long story short, um, what was different in treatment this time for me was was crossing paths with a counselor who had some lived experience because I was pretty good at bullshitting people and yeah, and only letting people know what they I wanted them to see or hear and
2: giving them their surface level self. Totally, yeah.
0: So it was like a week or two into treatment, and and this counselor walked by me and grabbed my shoulder, and I'll remember this forever. Then he said, "Hey, pal, if if you want to keep bullshitting yourself, you're going to end up dead." If you want to get honest, come find me and we'll do some work.
2: Yeah. I love that. You shared this with me and I just think it's the greatest.
0: It was wild. Yeah. Cause it, initially like I thought you're a counselor. You. you can't talk to me like that. Yeah. Right. I was offended. My ego was bruised, <laughs> but I went back to my room that night and I started really thinking about that. But how <laughs> the hell did he see that? Like he knows. So I went and talked to him and, and he shared some of his experience with me. Yeah. I thought, man, this guy is the first professional that gets what I'm going through. He knows. Yeah. So I ended up working with that fella. Um, for the next five, six weeks, I think I spent seven weeks in treatment that time and, and I left, but the tips, the tricks, the knowledge that that fellow shared with me and the motivation he gave me to get up and start doing this. Yeah. Right. Nobody's going to fix me. There's no magic pill.
2: Yeah.
0: You got to fucking own your stuff and you got to make amends. You got to make changes that lead to these amends. Right. Uh, And it was wild to me, but the stuff that he shared with me actually worked. And I remember him telling me, um, I suggest you do everything. If you want to make these changes, you do everything you can that comes, you know, that gets suggested to you from somebody you trust in recovery for a whole year. Don't even ask why just do it. Try it. If you don't like it, move on to the next one, but keep trying something right every day. Mm -hmm. And when you get to one year, if you're not happy with your life, drugs and alcohol are still going to be there. Go back out and get bombed. Who cares? Right. You tried. It's up to you.
2: Yeah.
0: So I said, I can, I can buy into that. I'll give myself my word that I'm going to do this for a year. And I made it to a year and, uh, holy shit, things got really good. Things were getting good.
2: Right?
0: Yeah. i cycled across Canada. Um, I won't get into that big story. I've talked about it before, but yeah, I, I did a bicycle trip across Canada, three months into recovery, took the next three months, rode with a friend, went across Canada, raised awareness for addiction and recovery and raised money for the treatment center. I get to the end of that and I'm like, holy shit, I made it. I completed something, right? And this was pretty, yeah. still to this day, I look at a map of Canada and I think, no. That's crazy. That. <laughs> it is crazy, right? But That's awesome. I enrolled in addictions counseling program at the Medicine Hat College. And I completed that. And and like we were talking earlier, Amber, about how do the next right thing for the right reasons. Right. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't about ego and it wasn't about me. Right. Yeah. I had completed these things, but that was the motivation, the snowball,
2: Mm -hmm. right. It
0: it was one thing led to the next, to the next, I can complete things. And up until then, I really hadn't completed much in my life. Right. I, I hadn't really completed my hockey career because of alcohol. I hadn't completed so many things in my life because of booze. Yeah. But here I am sober and I'm knocking things off this really cool bucket list. And, and yeah, life just continued to get good. I finished my college, uh, finished my practicums in Regina with the Saskatchewan health authority. And, uh, ended up landing a job back here in medicine hat with Canadian mental health as an addictions counselor and a crisis worker. And a week after that, I met my future wife and uh, yeah.
2: Your whole life is all just come together.
0: It's wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I look back to that moment. So February 11th, 2015 is, is the first day in 40 years of my life that I didn't have a substance in me. That's the day that I chose to, well, I shouldn't say I chose it that day. I had tubes and shit down my throat and yeah. stuff stuck to my chest in the ER and I didn't choose to be there, but that's the first day that started this new journey.
2: It's a turning point.
0: It really is. Yeah. And it, it's like a the day before that, the night before that was the darkest day in my life. But I look at it now, like that was just the dark before the light came on Yeah. and this new way of living and, and in the moment. <laughs> it was chaos looking back now, a number of years later, it's what I needed. And I needed to face the consequences of my addiction. I needed, you know, my wife at that time to kick me out and divorce me. I needed to lose my job. I needed to be bankrupt. I needed to lose my house. Yeah. I needed my kids not to talk to me. Yeah. I needed to see how awful it could get if I kept going down that path. Cause up until then I really hadn't faced much. Yeah. And those were the moments I needed now in the moment when they were happening. It was the end of my life. Like, what am I going to do now? I can't do anything else. I'm so tied to this life and this career I have in the oil and gas. I can't do anything else. That's all I know. Yeah. And, uh, nine years later, it's like not true. Right? Yeah. When we are open-minded and willing to try and other things. And when I realized I don't know what's best for myself, I, I need others in my life. And I need some help navigating yeah. this life because I don't know. Yeah. I was 40 years old and I didn't even know what values were like. I just knew what my dad liked and that's yeah. what I liked. And I yeah. knew what he was against and I was against that too. Yeah. But I didn't know why. Isn't
2: that crazy how we just follow those belief systems that are. 100%. Are taught to us. Yeah. With no, no internal thought of, does that really mean much to me? Totally. Right. And do what we know.
0: Yeah. And it's it was through all the, the, you know, the professionals we have on this show. I tried a lot of them. Right. And it yeah. was. You know, it was with great thanks, I give them a lot of the credit to opening my mind to these things like we just talked about, the values and belief systems. I didn't know anything about that, right? Yeah. But once I got into recovery and I started to really do this internal work and and reflection into my life and understand that these weren't really my values and beliefs. These were instilled in me from a very young age by society, by my upbringing, by, you know, the genetics and epigenetics we talk about that lots <laughs> nowadays but
2: yeah
0: it was like a, a rebirth almost like now i get to start living because so cool. i get to figure out what ryan really likes who is ryan
2: yeah
0: and and i've had that question asked a couple times who is ryan and now i can answer it before i would have just told you who ryan was but it was really who my dad was yeah
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah now you're your own individual self yeah that's pretty cool.
0: It's been pretty wild, right? And <clears throat> yeah, the recovery journey is, isn't is a destination, I find. And I saw this, I've shared this before, right? The journey itself for me is the destination, like living in the journey, because who knows where it's going to end up. And I'm not looking that far down the road. Yeah. And it's just like the destination is today. Let's figure this out today, and yeah. then we'll figure it out tomorrow. Yeah,
2: there's there's a lot of truth about not looking too far into the future because we can't predict it. Nobody's got the magic ball. No, nobody has that crystal ball.
0: Absolutely, right. Yeah. And
2: you can't dwell on the past. No. So you might as well live in the present.
0: Yeah. Well, when, when I started forward. doing that, yeah. Life started to get better and I didn't know why. Yeah. And I couldn't figure that out. But you know, through the help of, for me, my journey took me through a 12 step program my journey took me through counseling, through therapy, and I've put all these other pieces into place over the years that have helped me benefit. But it was those individuals that helped me see how valuable living in the present is. You know, mm-hmm. if I can clean up my life and live a whole different way today and reframe and look at circumstances differently today than I used to and own my shit today yeah, and apologize when I'm wrong. And recognize that piece right today, not wait for, wait till I see you next week at work and I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll handle it then. It really sets me up for tomorrow. Yeah. For a, a good day, a good start to the day. And I don't yeah. know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to start pretty good probably because I didn't bring today's shit into tomorrow.
2: That's right.
0: And when I started living that way, I was like, holy smokes, that's a whole different way of living.
2: Pretty awesome. It
0: is pretty awesome. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and life gets a lot better.
2: Yeah. You're, you're always a very positive person i enjoy working with you every day i think you bring a lot of light thank you to the office a lot of light to my day me and tara always make fun because i was like oh man can you believe ryan's got to work with us
0: two ladies all <laughs> the <this> time
2: that's <laughs> uh, so awesome i'm i'm pretty you, grateful you for, for it, though. Grounded.
0: well and, and you guys keep me grounded right and that's not just work-wise but that's just recovery right you're yeah. surrounded by like-minded people who are trying to do the next right thing like, yeah. we're just trying to do what we do today to help other people yeah. And it's not to move up the corporate ladder and it's not to make six figures and it's not to no. put the plaques on my wall and get recognized in the media and all this nonsense that I used to live by. Yeah. Now it's about just being there to to help somebody.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. And it's pretty a awesome. pretty awesome feeling.
2: It really is. Yeah. I got a question. Do you still talk to that counselor, have a contact with him? The one that, you know. I used to. Do you kind of see that.
0: I used to, I used to run into him once in a while on, you know, social media and in person every once in a while. And we've lost touch over the last four years, five years, but yeah, um, yeah, I wish him well, obviously. But, you know, he was astronomical, very instrumental in changing the trajectory of my life. And I think that's one of the people that, you know, was put in my path at the right time for the right reasons.
2: 100%.
0: I'd been there before, like I said, and I sat with therapists and I sat with psychologists and I sat with people who had master's degrees and nobody really turned that light bulb on for me. Right. And yeah. at that time I knew what I needed to tell them to yeah. get out of there. Yeah. Right. So, I, and we're smart people. Yeah.
2: Right? Well, we're, we learned to be manipulative. For sure. When we're living in active addiction, right. And learn to get our way and,
0: yeah.
2: and to be heard in some way. So I, it's funny that you brought that up because I always try to tell any of the people that I work with, like if, if your counselor or therapist isn't challenging the things that you say to them, then that might not be the right person. If For you just sure. go there to complain and your complaints are just heard, but there's no growth to come mm-hmm. out of it. I think that there's like, go find someone who makes you a little uncomfortable, yeah. just like you did. Cause if someone just listens, you know, <clears throat> we need our, our opinions challenged and, yeah. and not in an aggressive manner, but that's how growth happens is like helping me think different. He helped you think different and opened your perspective to something new. I like that.
0: It's so true. And, And that, you know, having the different psychologists and therapists on our show that we've had over the years, you know, that's the, the real monumental piece, I think, that makes a good therapist is a little bit of challenge, right? You don't yeah. need a yes man in your life. We've surrounded ourselves in addiction with yes people, yeah. Right? You're doing great. Yeah. yeah. Just get me some more. Yeah. <laughs> right. We need that yeah. challenge in our life. And and somebody told me early on, and you have to get uncomfortable or comfortable being, being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And I thought, no way. I don't like being uncomfortable. That's never going to happen, but sure enough, it does. Right. And yeah. and when you push through those challenges, whether it's with a therapist or everyday life, suddenly it's not that bad and it wasn't that hard. We made it into something that's really difficult, but once you do it, yeah, mm, usually it's not that difficult. Yeah. We get past that fear of, of change or fear of the unknown and fear of whatever our fears are. For me, it was like low self-worth and the fear of not being liked and, yeah. Once I pushed through that and I got to know who I was and today I really don't care if you like me. Yeah. I'm not going to be an asshole about it, but I really don't care. Right. Like yeah. I'm going to be me. This is what I believe in. And if that doesn't sit well with you, then have a good life. Like yeah. our director says, I still want you to eat, just not on not my, at table. my table.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Best thing ever. <laughs> Best thing ever. Good. What advice would you give, uh, you know, to someone working in that oil and gas industry? You do find that a lot that they, They're too scared to leave it and they're too scared to lose the income because the money is too good. Mm -hmm. But it is such a detriment to their home life and their lifestyle. Mm And it's a big part of why they can't get out of the position that they're in. Like, what advice would you give to somebody who is maybe contemplating getting out of that or, you know, can't get over that fear of losing Mm -hmm. that Well, and that's a financial stability, I guess. For
0: sure. Anytime I think you're talking about financial stability, that's a huge fear, right? Especially in this day and age. Yeah. Everybody seems to be a little unstable financially with the way society and and everything's going. But I think looking back at at my big change was when I recognized how valuable I wasn't in -hmm. that career. Up until then, I thought, you know, and this is all ego-driven. I, I'm the best at what I do. This company wouldn't make it without me. You know, I got to get to work every. Like, it was so valuable to me.
2: Yeah. It's like the only thing you valued.
0: And I look back now, and within a week, somebody else was driving my truck. Like, I was replaced. hmm Right? And that was a big eye-opener for me, and that company's still going today. Yeah. Like, they didn't really—I I didn't cripple it when I left. Yeah right and that was a big piece to me like i i tied all my worth into who i was yeah as a career person in the oil and gas industry and you know that doesn't address the financial inst- instability but that came as well right it was a big eye opener that i didn't need i was living such a material lifestyle i didn't need to make x amount of dollars to be happy yeah that's kind of what was instilled with through my dad and society right if you get a big house a a good job like that and you have this, this, and that, you'll be set. Yeah. And I got a lot of that.
2: Yeah.
0: And I wasn't set. Yeah. So when I, you know, here's to put it into perspective. When I came out of treatment, did that cycling trip, moved to Medicine Hat, I rented, I didn't get my tape measure out, but it was probably about a 250 square foot bedroom in this lady's house. Mm -hmm. And that's where I lived for two years. And I had a part-time job while I went to college. I had a part-time job at a local sports store at Sport Check fixing bikes sweet and sharpening skates because I like my bike next (laughs) (laughs) but I finally found like that's something I'm passionate about
2: yeah
0: it didn't matter if I was making 15 bucks an hour right I had student loans I had all these things but I came from the salary I'd always made in the oil and gas to making probably I don't know two grand a month if that not even not even close to that really but I'd never been happier right like there was still some hardships in my life and I was going through separation divorce all these things that come with all that but I was feeling this serenity like I hadn't felt before. Yeah. And that's when it really hit me, right? That bike trip taught me, you know, we're talking not a motorbike, we're talking a pedal bike. So a, a road bike with four bags on it, four pannier bags and a tent and cycled across Canada. And that trip taught me what I need personally to survive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I survived for three months outside with no TV. Yeah. No five TVs. <laughs>
2: yeah. Right.
0: I, I didn't need a 2,500 square foot house. I didn't need all this stuff to be happy and survive. Yeah. And that's one of the real big pieces that, that bike trip taught me among many, but what's important in life. And it's not stuff that I buy at Best yeah. Buy or Amazon, right? It's, it's family, it's connection, it's
2: yeah,
0: integrity, yeah. it's authenticity, it's, it's friendships. Yeah. That's what's important in life, right? It wasn't having making a couple hundred grand in the oil patch, whatever that is for people or myself, wasn't about the three SUVs and the sports car and all this other bullshit that I filled my life with. And Yeah.
2: Can't take that to the grave
0: with you, right? Right. And and those were the lessons that that taught me, you know, that blowing up that lifestyle and what's important in life.
2: Yeah.
0: And just how powerful the, the human connection is. And there's just so many life lessons I've learned. We could... Make five episodes. But um
2: Yeah, we're we're crunching on time. So where? how about to finish this up? You tell me, give me a couple of things that you do to sustain your recovery today because we all know that putting the plug in the jug is and moving on from alcohol is not the solution. Yeah. Right. To ending that piece and we know that it can creep up at any time. So like what helps you sustain your recovery?
0: Oh, big question. I think always being humble and yeah. grateful of where I'm at today and not thinking it it's owed to me. It's, yeah. it's a product of the work I've done, but I know how fast it can disappear if I stop moving forward with this work that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just so many tidbits and words of wisdom and, and practices I've done over the years that have been shared with me or, but I think one of them is always, you know, find take that step towards change. Take that, that leap of faith that there's something on the other side of that fear. That's going to turn the light bulb on. That's going to better your quality of life. Um, and then start getting support. Yeah. You know, once I got support and that doesn't mean a recovery coach per se, but once I finally started to, to put these support pieces in my recovery journey, things got a lot easier. I didn't have to do anything alone anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: And, the existential crisis, the the outside circumstances that got me into recovery have long been dealt with. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those supports aren't needed anymore yeah. and I don't utilize them anymore, but I've always replaced them with something else. It's never, you know, I have six supports and I'm on year four. I don't need any supports. And now it's just Ryan navigating life well, again by himself. That's I know that that's a recipe for me going backwards real fast. Yeah. So it's like finding new pieces and new challenges and new things that are going to benefit me and help build resilience. Like we always talk about, right. It's, it's about what am I doing today? That's going to better my quality of life. And, and having that same kind of mindset doesn't matter if I'm on year one, year eight, year 20.
2: Yeah.
0: Trying to keep that same mindset and then just not being an asshole. I
2: like it. Just be kind.
0: Yeah. Right. It's.
2: I love the be kind word. Yeah. You know, Russ always, uh, says that to me, like, and I use it with my kids too. And like, I'm always, I always reframe it. Like what you say to me is not kind. And I think there's a lot of value in that word of like, I don't know. That's a big one for me. It is. I like it.
0: Yeah. And man. you don't hear it enough anymore.
2: You don't and- I hear it in my
0: house all the time. Cause I am fortunate and grateful enough to be married to one of the kindest human beings in my life. Yes, she's that ever met. Yeah. So I hear it and I see that example all the time, but.
2: I use it with my daughter all the time.
0: I've heard like you the use choice, it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the choice of words are not kind. Yeah. You need to be kinder. Yeah. Oh I gosh. love that. Great finisher. I I appreciate you sharing your story yeah. and I appreciate you. You're mm, a great friend you. and I think you're doing awesome things out in the community. Keep but it I, up.
0: Thank you. And I appreciate you and you Thanks. as well. Like we wouldn't be surrounded by people who aren't headed in the same direction and, and like-minded people, right? So right. what you see, you own. That's right. That's who you are as well. And, and you know, the other individuals that work at OCJ and it's just been a real, a real, uh, interesting journey at our collective journey. And I can't (laughs) wait. It's been a journey. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see where it goes in the future, but you know what? I agree. Good place to, uh, wrap this up. People have probably heard enough of me today. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and sit with me. So I'm not feeling lonely in here today. I
2: love it. It was um, nice to be back. I've been back here in a little while. Totally. So it was a good time.
0: Uh, one other new thing that we're doing this year is Polana, uh, who is our director of marketing. Um, she has created, we've broke out our Instagram page. We've broke out from darkness to life out of our OCJ page. So now we have a specific Instagram page for the podcast. So it's at FDTL podcast. So check that out. Like it. Um, anybody who's interested in leaving reviews I know we need to have some so please leave us some reviews on whatever streaming platform you're listening to uh, the show on Um, yeah I guess with that season four is underway it's a wrap yeah stay tuned check this one out Um, we got we got some amazing guests coming people that uh, I'm very grateful have crossed our paths so stay tuned and and uh, Let us know if anybody out there needs some support. So with that, thanks, Amber.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Have
0: a good one. Okay,
1: cool. All right. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey. If you or a loved one needs support, please reach out to ourcollectivejourney.ca. Our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery. Consider showing your support by donating online at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Crookshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive.